The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either deserve or desire. Pour upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which we are, of which our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, many thanks to Father Bright for opening your parish to us and, and the warm welcome and the warm hospitality. It feels very, very good and warm here. Thank you. Um, many thanks to, to David Zoll and everyone at Mockingbird. Um, you know, David, your, your commitment to um, telling us in, in millions of different little ways that God's final word is a word of mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. Um, it's, it's saved a lot of lives, and I know, you know, you don't, you don't get to see that, like, like Dr. Paulson said, he, God keeps that secret from us, um, um, but thank you, keep going, please, keep going. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about distractions for a little while. I, I'm distracted right now, actually, and it's not because I have this up here. Um, I'm distracted because I have to speak right after one of my theological heroes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Dr. Paulson, what a wonderful blessing uh, of, a, of a talk you just gave. Thank you for that. Um, uh, you know, it, the, the next conference you speak at, in, in, and if it's David organizing the thing, tell him not to put, put you after one of your heroes, <laughs> okay? It's a little bit distracting and disconcerting. But uh, you know, Dr. Paulson, I, I would I'd listen to your sermons sometime online. They're, they always minister to me in a real way. And, and I don't know the context of the sermon that I'm, I'm about to talk about that you were giving. I just remember you were up there in the pulpit, and you, you finished the sermon. You said, you people are forgiven, and you're free. And you walked off. Um, so thank you for that. Um, that ministered to me in a very real way at that point in time. Um, and I'm going to riff on I'm going to riff on that here in a minute. Um, going to improvise on that here in just a second. Um, my the 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 title of my talk is in praise of distraction, and I think it's going to dovetail actually really well, Dr. Paulson, in, in what you were talking about in praise of distraction. Um, so I have a few stories about distractions and how God sometimes meets us and loves us in the midst of those distractions. Um, and then we're going to look and see what, if anything, distracts God. And in the middle, we're going to talk about play, and we're going to talk about hobbies and some, some other things. Um, in praise of distraction. Did your, did your kids distract you this week? Did somebody else's kids distract you this week? Um, a few weeks ago, I was, um, I have this, just a sort of a rule of life, as it were. I like to finish my sermons by, by Thursday. So by Thursday evening, I like to be finished with my sermon so that I don't have to think about it at all on Friday. And then on Saturday, I can hopefully make it shorter <laughs> than it is for the sake of my people. Um, um, and so I had, it was a busy week a few weeks ago, and I had, I'd come home, uh, and I still was not finished with my sermon. And so I told my wife, I said, honey, I'm going to go shut myself in our room and I'm going to try to knock this thing out. And she said, okay, that's fine. 
So I'm, you know, I'm focusing. I'm, 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 this is taking myself really seriously here, and this is important work that I have to do, you know, after all. And, and uh, about 20 minutes in, my eight-year-old and my one-year-old little toddler, almost two, bust into our room, and they had dragged our little girl's toddler mattress off of her bed, and they set it up in the middle of our room where, I'm, you know, my desk is over here on the side, and I'm trying to got work to do here. I've got to focus. And they start doing gymnastic routines <laughs> while I'm trying to write a sermon. And I'm, you know, I'm in this serious mode when I'm taking myself way too seriously. And uh, it was, honey, can you come, can you come get the kids? And she very gently and mercifully said, no, I'm busy. You're going to have to, you're going to have to take care of this big boy yourself. <laughs> Then my brooding teenage 13-year-old son comes up. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's a 13-year-old young man, and what you get is not a whole lot of interaction with other people. And, he's, and he starts tumbling around with, with his two little sisters. Um, and yet still, I'm trying to focus and focus and get this important work that I have to do. I'm trying to get it done. And finally, I, I just, it, it wasn't really more like God speaking to me right then. It was more just like, all right, I give up. I'm, I'm going to wave the right flag, and I'm going to get down here and, and kind of tumble around with y'all and flip around with y'all. And God met me there. God met me there when I was just sitting there enjoying my kids playing. It went from a distraction to me, actually, an experience of joy that I get to be here with my children. And they're, this is one of those rare moment moments when they're enjoying each other. <laughs> and and my, heart, my heart was filled with joy. And I'm not a mystic. I'm not, certainly not a Pentecostal. But uh, God impressed on my heart at that moment. He said, Kurt, that's the way I feel about you. The way that you see your kids right now joy in playing that's the way I feel about you when you can just enjoy doing the things that you do that's what a father's heart is toward his children and I felt so much freedom and so much love from my God in the midst of this distraction and it came out of nowhere it came out of nowhere we probably all have stories like this where God meets us in the midst of distractions and he loves us there in the midst of these entirely unproductive moments in our lives. Um, there's, a, there's a man in my parish who, he, he's the most interesting man in the world in a lot of ways. He, uh, he, he, was a, he was in finance, and then he went to divinity school, and he became a pastor, and then he went and got some psychology degrees, and he became a therapist. And now he's a professional art photographer. <laughs> He's a really, really f fascinating, interesting guy. And, and I, I jokingly call him my therapist. He's, I don't pay him to be my therapist, but I meet with him a couple times every month. And we just have lunch, and I can bounce. He's a really safe person, and, and I trust him. Um, he told me the other day, he says, uh, he, and he's a cat person also, which makes him even more interesting, intriguing. <laughs> he's a cat person. And he does a lot of work there in his, in his studio and editing photos and things like that. And he said, you know what, I've gotten to a point of whenever, whenever one of my cats jumps in my lap, I don't care what I'm doing, I stop what I'm doing. And I just, he said, I'm finally at a place where I stop what I'm doing and I just sit there and I can enjoy this, this 
pet that I love. And he says, God meets me there sometimes. God meets us in the midst of our distractions. I have another friend who's, who's um, he's seeing a, uh, he's seeing a, uh, um, someone who's kind of helping him, a spiritual director, as it were, he's helping him along in his spiritual life. And this, this, this man uh, was, was helping him in, in practicing the presence of Jesus, practicing the presence of Jesus. So that, that's uh, kind of tricking yourself into remembering at certain times all throughout the day, um, Jesus is present with me and, and his, his loving presence is with me and it's closer than I can even fathom or imagine. And so what the spiritual director had this guy do, he said, every time you see a bird, I want you to remember that Jesus is more present to you and with you and loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And he said, I saw, he goes, I started seeing so many daggone birds. <laughs> and it was just completely, it, it, I, I, you know, it was completely distracted from me, but it was a good distraction because it was, and so he goes back to his spiritual director and he says, well, I saw so many birds, man. I didn't, I, it, I, it, all I was doing was practicing the presence, presence of Jesus. So he says, okay, well, well, how about let's do this. Whenever you see a cardinal, do y'all have cardinals in Oklahoma City? Okay. Whenever you see a cardinal, I want you to remember that Jesus is closer to you than you can possibly imagine. His love for you is deeper than you could possibly imagine. And he said, that next week, I saw so many daggum cardinals. <laughs> he said it was constant. All these distractions, but the, God was present in those distractions. For him and with him. So often, God meets us and loves us in the midst of what the world calls distractions and the world disvalues these kinds of distractions doesn't it the kingdom of this world disvalues these kinds of distractions our culture is very weary of enjoying something simply for the sake of enjoying it isn't it dave uh and and uh and ethan really published a whole magazine on this very issue one of the, one of the issues of the mockingbird uh magazine the play issue right it's dealing with this whole, with this whole issue of, of play and what a big problem we have with it. Culture is weary of enjoying something simply for the sake of enjoying it. Everything around us, everyone around us says we must focus, 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 focus on the things that are important. The things that are important. So what does the kingdom of this world say is important? What is important according to the kingdom of this world? The world deems as important productive work that leads to money and power. That's what the world says is important. Productive work that leads to money and power. And the flesh latches onto those things. My flesh latches onto those things that I can produce by my own focused hard work with the hope that it will lead for me, ultimately, to self-sufficiency. And I know I'm taking a lot of steps here, okay? I'm taking a, a lot of steps, but bear, but, but bear with me. I'm going to say that one more time because it's just, I think it's important for us to get. The world deems as important productive work that leads to money and power. And my flesh latches onto these things that I can produce by my focused hard work with the hope that it will lead me to ultimate self-sufficiency. We're obsessed with productivity because productivity, more money or more power, will lead hopefully to self-sufficiency. If I can produce enough, then maybe I can make it all on my own. And I won't need anyone anymore. Maybe then I can stop being merely a creature and I can start to become 
like God. In that kind of system, I can't let anything get me off track, Dr. Paulson. I can't let anything get me off track from my idolatrous goals, from my track that's leading to glory. I can't let anything get me off that track. You know, this is the old Adam's game inside me and you. Um, And this was the temptation in the garden in a lot of ways as well, wasn't it? The fruit will be productive to bring you knowledge of good and evil, and when you have that knowledge, you won't be merely creatures anymore. You won't be dependent on God anymore. You will be like God. And the temptation goes on today. We're advised to resist anything that distracts us from that which will produce self-sufficiency within us. So let's talk about hobbies <laughs> for a second. Let's talk about hobbies. Um, David and the, and the gang, uh, well, C.J. Green wrote a phenomenal piece last week. Look it up in the break. Um, about, it was on a New York Times piece about this guy who, who wrote about hobbies and how hobbies in our culture are dwindling. People don't have them anymore. People don't have, and if they do have them, they don't do them just, so that they, just because they enjoy them. They do them uh, with some pragmatic goal in mind of maybe this will, <laughs> maybe if I perfect this hobby of mine, um, it could lead to some sort of self-sufficiency or, or it can produce something important in my life. So do you have, do you have any hobbies? And, and, and I'm, I, that's an honest question. I want to gauge, engage a little bit here. Who has a hobby? Who has a hobby? We got some hands. And I'm not, listen, I'm not capping on you if you don't have a hobby, okay? The, the point of this talk is like, let's go get hobbies. That, that's, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Daniel, what's, what do you like to do? You don't have to justify it, man. It's all cool. This is, <laughs> this is a safe place, brother. <laughs> do you, do, is it hard? For, do you, is there guilt associated with it? Is it, is it, is it a, oh, man, I'm, I'm being lazy and I'm not being productive here? Is, is, is any of that going on? <laughs> Good. He's a free man. That's wonderful. <laughs> That's wonderful. I, I wish I could, I mean, I do, I do have some hobbies, and I wish I could say I could, I could do them with freedom and, and without any guilt of being unproductive, but that's just, that's not, that's not where I am right now. But hobbies really are distractions, aren't they? Hobbies are distractions. Doing something simply because we enjoy doing it without any thought of how productive it actually might be, that's a distraction from what the world says we need to be focused on. But this kind of distraction, this kind of play, it's a very creaturely thing, isn't it? It's ultimately a very human thing that we get to enjoy and that we get to do. But we can't seem to let ourselves go there. It's so hard for us creatures to be merely creatures. So we justify these hobbies, these, with this, this play, we justify it as work or a self-improvement toward our goal of productivity and self-sufficiency. So here's what this looks like for me. I love, I love fly fishing. I love to fly fish. Okay? But I feel like constantly for the people around me, I have to say, I, I have to justify it as, self, as a, some sort of self-improvement regime for me. Okay? I, and so I tell people, what well, it, it, helps me, it helps me to focus, actually. 
you know, it's, you have to be very intent on where the, where the trout is rising and get your flight, and you have to be very focused the whole time. It helps me to focus. It, it, but it doesn't. It doesn't help me to focus. I just really enjoy doing it. I just really enjoy doing it. Pray for me that I can get to that place where I can just do it and enjoy doing it. You know, we apply this to our children as well, don't we? Play can't be play anymore. It has to be play. Our, our children's play can't just be play anymore. It has to be play for some purpose now so that they can, you know, I'm jumping a lot of steps here, so they can get into the right preschool and then the right elementary school and the right high school and the right college so that they too can be, uh, successfully pursue, pursue the productivity that will lead to ultimate self-sufficiency for them as well, right? And so it can't just be, y'all go play and do what you want to do. It has to be play with some end in mind. And this is insidious stuff we're talking about here. You know, I've got a, I've got a friend who, won, who runs an, adv- an adventure travel company for teenagers. He ta- and it's not a Christian thing. It's just a, he started doing this a long time ago. And he, I mean, he ta- during the summers, he takes groups of kids all over the world. I mean, he's, and it's, it's a big business at this point. And, I mean, they go to Fiji. He takes groups to Fiji and Iceland and Chamonix and the Tetons. I mean, all over the place. This guy... Um, and a few years ago, his business started joining a little bit. He didn't know what it was, so he brought some consultants in, and his, his consultant said, you need, to, you need to introduce a service component to your trips, and then people will sign up. So he did on, on, on a few of these trips. You know, they, 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 they do Kilimanjaro as well. So like the Kilimanjaro trip, they go out to a, you know, an African village, and they do some service projects. And ultimately, I don't, I don't, this is my Senate coming out. They paint, the, they, like, they paint the same house like five times every summer. <laughs> Right. Um, the point being, we, we got to a place in our society where parents couldn't let their kids just go enjoy a really awesome trip around the world. It had to be productive to some end, which also ultimately was unfortunately for their kids' self-sufficiency one day. And this is all because we refuse to be distracted or let our children be distracted by anything that will divert us from our self-justification projects, from our quest to be self-sufficient gods. But what if God really does smile when he sees his children simply enjoying themselves? What if God really does smile when he sees his children simply enjoying themselves? What would that mean for you? What would that look like for you? What do you love to do? Can you let yourself can you let yourself do it? Why or why not? We'll get to that in a second. We'll get back to that in a second. What about God? Is God ever distracted? Is God ever distracted? You know, in a sense, this whole divine rescue operation that he put into place a few thousand years ago that had been planned since the beginning of the world, this whole thing uh, might have been a, dis- a giant distraction for God, right? I'm pretty sure God was pretty busy being God, <laughs> upholding the universe, <laughs> making sure things stay together and don't implode on themselves. He didn't have to take regard for us rebellious creatures, did he? He could have left us to die in our own sins and trespasses. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God was lovingly distracted by us, and he moved into the neighborhood for our sake in order to rescue us. 
Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord would take frail flesh and die? What about Jesus? You know, you, you, mentor of mine tells me all the time, it's very simple. You want to know what God was like? Learn what Jesus was like. So what about Jesus? Did, did he seem to have any distractions in his life? Did he, was he distracted? Um, in a sense, no. I mean, you, you look at Luke 9, verse 51. When, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was, in, in a sense, he was completely focused to, to uh, fulfill this rescue operation that he had come to fulfill. Okay? He was resolute in doing what he came to do for us. Jesus was dead set on fulfilling the law for us and in through his perfect life live for us in our place. He was dead set on bleeding for us and dying for us, the perfect sacrificial death for us and for the forgiveness of our sins. And he was dead set on defeating death for us through his resurrection. And aren't you glad nothing distracted him from that? And yet in another sense, Jesus was distracted quite a bit when he was here on earth. He had a lot of important things to do. He had a lot going on. You know, he had disciples to train and lessons about the kingdom to teach. And, and yet so often Jesus seemed to be gladly distracted. Gladly distracted. Um, we don't see in the Gospels necessarily that he had any hobbies. You know, he, he, liked, he liked dinner parties, it seems. Which is, which is wonderful because that's kind of what the kingdom is going to be like. So it does seem like he, he, he liked dinner parties. Whether we call that a hobby or not, I don't know. I don't think his, his vocation as a carpenter was necessarily a distraction. So we, we don't see any hobbies here. But he was distracted all the time by people. He was distracted all the time by people. He always seemed to have time for people. He took notice of people. Over and over the Gospels say that Jesus saw people. He saw somebody, sometimes an individual, sometimes a group. Says he saw them, he had compassion on them, and then he healed them. Over and over the Gospels show us that. And in a sense, all these people were distractions from all the important work that he had come to do. Jesus, you have a global movement to build, so you better steer clear of all these hoi polloi over here. Jesus, there are much more productive things you could be doing with your time than spending time with little children. You have disciples to teach you who are going to carry your message all over the world. And even more amazingly, so often Jesus was, was distracted by people who didn't really have anything to offer him at all. These people who distracted him, they didn't offer Jesus anything in terms of productivity for his mission. You know, he didn't, he didn't meet these people who, who he was distracted by at, at a networking event so that he could further his career. You know, this, he didn't meet him on LinkedIn. Praise God. <laughs> he didn't look up their LinkedIn profile first in order to see if they were important enough for his time. Rather, he was distracted so often by people who were very needy and sick, people who weren't exactly self-sufficient, people who had no status or wealth or power, people who were 
marginalized. And in the midst of his important teaching ministry and his important prophetic ministry and discipleship ministry, he took notice of these kind of people, even little children. Um, Our gospel passage in the lectionary from just last Sunday, Mark chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, you can open those up. If not, I'll read it right here. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. The disciples decided Jesus needs bouncers. Jesus needs some bouncers. He needs security. And we're going to be that security for him. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was actually, he was upset about this. He was angry about this. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then he took them, the children, in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. So the disciples were saying, you little rugrats, quit distracting Jesus. He has important work to do. But Jesus responded, let the little children come to me. He welcomed welcomed in the ultimate distraction. (laughs) Your kids (laughs) and my kids. He welcomed them in. And by the way, that is for your kids, okay? Just as a little side note, that's for your kids and our kids, right? Uh, Jesus is strong enough to save your children. No matter how much you fail as a parent or how, no matter how much you feel like a failure as a parent, Jesus is strong enough and able to save your children. So take some rest in that. Let that distract you a little bit from, maybe from parenting. <laughs> and it can lead you to mercy. He's strong enough to save little children who can offer him nothing. He's merciful enough to save little children who can't do a thing for him. Little children who are living, breathing distractions in a lot of ways. He takes them into his strong, loving arms. And that's not just for our children, that's for us too. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far away from the Lord. That's for us too. We are those little children in a lot of ways. And he receives us into his strong, receives us into his strong, loving arms. And invites us into the distraction of receiving from him rather than producing for him. Let me say that again. He invites us into the distraction of receiving from him rather than producing for him. He invites us into the distraction of receiving like a little child. Receiving gifts, receiving divine love and forgiveness and reconciliation, dear friends, is the ultimate distraction away from from productive self-sufficiency, isn't it? That might be the opposite of productive self-sufficiency, receiving gifts from God, like forgiveness and reconciliation and mercy. What a joyous relief this distraction is. I want to share with you one more uh, instance of Jesus being distracted, and this one I'm going to read uh, from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Do you all have one of these? Even if you don't have kids, go get a Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, uh, it's written by Sally Lloyd-Jones and um, illustrated by some guy named Yago. He only has one name. 
very mysterious. <laughs> um, but, but Sally Lloyd-Jones really, she, she takes the essence of, I actually refer to this in writing sermons a lot of times, to be honest with you. If I'm preaching one of these passages, I'll go to this book some and see, oh, what, is, what, what, is she, what does she see here? And it's a really wonderful thing. So this is the story, a, a little girl and a poor, frail lady. Okay? There was once a little girl who didn't get out of bed one morning, or the next, or the next. In fact, she didn't get out of bed for a whole month. She was very sick, and no one knew how to make her any better. Jairus was her daddy, and he loved her. And one day he was sitting by her bed, holding her hand, wishing there was something he could do. Not very self-sufficient moment when our children get sick, is it? Wishing there was something he could do. I know, he said, and he jumped from, from his feet. He put on his coat. He kissed his daughter. He ran down the steps, 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 past the servants, out of the house, through the gates, along the road, into the town, up the steps, 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 and into the temple. And he fought his way through all the people until at last he found who he was looking for. Jesus, he said, falling at Jesus' feet. My daughter, he pleaded, please. But he didn't need to beg because before he'd even finished speaking, Jesus reached out his hand and helped him up. I'll come at once, Jesus said. In those days, of course, they didn't have uh, ambulances, so they had to go by foot. Jesus' helpers knew uh, that he would heal the sick little girl, but they had to hurry. If Jesus didn't get there soon, it would be too late. But everyone was in the way. Hustling and bustling and jostling and pressing and pushing and shoving and squishing and squashing. The disciples ran ahead, forcing back the crowds. Once again, they were in bouncer mode. Suddenly, Jesus stopped. His friends looked back. What was he doing? Who touched me? Jesus asked, because he felt power go out from him. Me said a frail lady, looking down at the ground because she was ashamed. The poor lady had been sick for 12 years and she had, she had to get well. She knew if she only touched Jesus' coat, she would be healed. So she touched his coat and instantly she was made well. We don't have time, Jesus' friend said. This is a distraction, Jesus. There's a lot of important work to do. Jesus always had time. He reached out his hands and gently lifted her head and he looked into her eyes and smiled. You believed, he said, wiping a tear from her eye, and now you're well. Just then, Jairus' servants rushed up. It's too late, he said breathlessly. Your daughter is dead. Jesus turned to Jairus. It's not too late, he said. Trust me. At Jairus' house, everyone was crying. But Jesus said, I'm going to go wake her up. And then everybody started laughing at him because they knew she was dead. And then Jesus walked into the little girl's bedroom. And there, lying in the corner in the shadows, was a still little figure. Jesus sat on the bed and took her pale little hand. Honey, he said, 
it's time to get up. And he reached down into death, and he gently brought the little girl back to life. And the little girl woke up and rubbed her eyes as if she had had a good night's sleep, and she leapt out of bed. Jesus threw open the shutters, and sunlight flooded the dark room. Hungry? Jesus asked. And she nodded. Get this girl some breakfast, he said. Jesus helped and healed many people like this. He made blind people see. He made deaf people hear. He made lame people walk. Jesus was making the sad things come untrue. He was mending God's broken world. Jesus, you're an up-and-coming rabbi. Don't waste your time with this riffraff. So we see how Jesus responds to these distractions, to these beloved, powerless, sick, out-of-control, oftentimes dead distractions. He heals them. He brings them back to life. Friends, the hardest truth to believe as a Christian is the most essential truth of Christianity. Jesus makes dead things alive. Jesus makes dead things alive. So in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your death, Jesus doesn't blow you off as if you were merely a distraction. He's for you, not against you, even in the midst of big problems, even in the midst of suffering, and even in the midst of death. So you can go to him and say, come and lay your hands on my daughter so that she may be well and live. You can go to him and say that, and he won't blow you off as if you're a distraction, as if he had more important things to do. You can go to him and say, you can go to, up to him and touch the hem of his coat and believe that you will be made well. And he won't blow you off as a distraction as if you're unimportant to him. He won't send his security guards, his goons, after you. He'll stop and meet you right there at the point of your pain and love you there at the point of your weakness and rescue there in the hour of your death. So don't be afraid, friends. Go ahead and distract him. Go ahead and distract him. So for, I, I, I want you to see, and I want to I make very clear, this is not a Jesus showed us how to be uh, distracted by people as an example for us so that we can be loving, lovingly distracted by people too kind of talk. This is not a go be like Jesus kind of talk, okay? Not Jesus as Jesus has moral example kind of talk, okay? The point is this, he was distracted by you and for you. He lived for you, he bled for you, he died for you, and he rose for you all in order to save you. So, dear friends, I'm going to tell you what my friend Dr. Paulson said. You are forgiven and free. You are forgiven and free. You're free to be a human being. You're free to live like a creature rather than a God. You're free to just live a life. Yes, you can focus. Of course, you can focus when you need to. You can write the book or study to make the grades. 
Okay, of course you can focus when you need to and to get the things done that you need to get done. But you're free to be distracted as well. You're free to be distracted as well. You're free to play. You're free to play, whatever that looks like for you. Whatever you enjoy doing, you are free to play. You're free to rediscover that hobby that used to give you so much joy. You know, you can go to the, you can go to the basement and blow those, that crate of records that's down there that you, used to give you so much joy when you listened to them. You can go blow, that, blow the dust off that crate of records and start listening to your music again. You're free to go do that. You're free to get the band back together if you want to. You're free to dust, that, dust off that old tennis racket and get back on the court. You're free to tumble around with your kids even when you have really important stuff to get done. You're free to come to church and hear the word of promise preach and, and receive the body and blood of Jesus and then do bread and wine. You're free to, the, you know, it, it, the world looks at this and says, what a, what a distraction. Come in and hear a guy talk about promises that God gave you and then we eat a little piece of bread and drink a sip of wine. No, you're free to come, you're free to go to church and be distracted by Jesus. And hear, hear of his promises made for you. And receive him as he gives himself to you in the Eucharist. You're free to simply enjoy doing the things that you enjoy without any concerns for productivity or building any sort of self-sufficiency. You're forgiven and free, friends. Lovely quote from a Nigerian theologian named Nimi Waraboko. He said this, The saved person hears the divine melody of salvation, not in the clanging cymbals of hard-working bones, nor in the pious chants chants of servility but in the transformation of a sinful life into the joyful play of eternal redemption and regeneration. So maybe here on the ground, right here in the middle of the now and not yet, not maybe, definitely, Jesus has forgiven you and he's saved you and he's raised you into being his beloved creature and he's brought you back to simply being a human and he has set you free to enjoy being distracted by the, people you, by the people you love and by the things that you love to do. Amen. Amen. How t- we, 